Adam Posner, welcome to the show. So excited to have you. This has been a long time coming. Can't wait to dive in. Billy Boy, thrilled to be here, man. All right, let's dive into this first topic. Why is Howard Stern the GOAT of interviewing? Love it. Love it. Love. I love that you're going there with this question. He is by far and away the GOAT, and it comes down to one simple thing. He changes it from a Q&A into a conversation. And that conversation, A, he's been doing this for 35, 40 years, so it comes naturally to them built on experience. But what you don't see in the background is a, am I allowed to curse? Are we cursing on this show? Yeah, let's go, man. Let's go. You see a shit, I mean, we're talking about Howard Stern here. We're talking about a <laughs> shitload of preparation that goes into it. He actually reads the books. He actually watches the movies of his guests. So he's able to free flow, go off the cuff, go deep. And ask those questions. Most interviewers are going off a prefabricated, approved PR list. He's just built up a level of expertise and experience within the industry and a cachet where like people come on and they can talk about whatever they want because they know they're getting into it with them. What I model my show after, I want to, you know, obviously there's certain talking points you're going to need to get to with all guests because you're talking about their passion points, their expertise and something that they're promoting, but bring out something different. That's what's going to make your show different than everyone else's. Love it, man. Well, I know you called your shots early on and you've already had some guests on your show that you, you wanted and you, you did it you made it happen. Let's flash forward. You're interviewing Howard Stern. What do you ask him? That's a really good question. I would, I would ask him a lot of questions about his interviewing technique. I, I don't think he really has dug into that. He, listen, first of all, he doesn't do a ton of interviews anymore. I would really get into the storyline about how he changed as a host and an interviewer going from terrestrial radio to satellite radio. I mean, I talk about that as a big revolution and evolution in his own interviewing where he, terrestrial radio, he was stuck on, you know, can't curse, can't talk about everything, censored. 20, 18, 17 minute segments now on Sirius Satellite Radio for the last 12, 13 years. It's completely uncensored and he could talk forever. It's up to him when he wants to take that commercial break. So it's an uninterrupted conversation. And I want to talk about the evolution and the process and the research work that he does and uh, talk about, you know, he's at the end. He's on the back nine of his career. And how does he stay motivated? Because I'll be honest, I mean, there's a lot of recent shows in Slack that he's getting from the audience. It's, it's not the same show. And since the pandemic, when he went, to his home studio instead of going to the city, they're losing a lot of that vibe and energy and collaboration from having everyone in the studio together, his supporting cast. So that's a lot what I would talk about how that's affected him. I mean, Howard's my number one top guest. Under him would be Andy Cohen. And then there's a, a nice list after that. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, let's, we'll, we'll get into Andy and, and maybe some others in a minute. Let's peel back the onion a little bit on the conversation that you would have. If you were to guess, knowing what you know about him and either your own research or what you've been the super fan that you are, like, what do you think he would say? Like, what is his approach? Because I know you mentioned the research, but like, why do you think he does that? If it's going to be a free-flowing conversation, how does that integrate into, and I love him too, by the way, I admittedly have fallen off and I don't know why, like I suck at falling off. Yeah, it's hard because I mean, listen, I, I, I listen, first of all, just answer your question there. I listened to a lot of, a lot of him in the car and I think a lot of us are in the car less these days, not commuting to work. I think that's a big thing. Listener time. During my work day, I, I mean, my, me personally, I used to listen to a lot of his interviews while I was working, but I found that kind of distracting because you kind of have to pay attention. Now when I'm in, in flow state, it's, it's deep house music that just keeps me kind of focused in there. Nice. What people don't understand is the more research you do doesn't always mean that you're going to be super like clinical in your questions. It just means that you have a context and the ability to go in a lot of different directions and have that insight to go in those directions and the confidence. That's right. That's such a great point. When I interview certain guests, 
I'm able with the help of my show producer, Chris, who's incredible, who does a lot of the upfront research. And then I do my secondary research and then I prep for my show in my own kind of way. I'm going deep. I'm watching those YouTube clips. I'm watching some past interviews. And I'm also reading between the lines and seeing maybe did the host have an opportunity to ask something that they didn't? And I make a point of that. Another huge thing that Howard does and something that I picked up on is the ability to go off script. I have a flow to my show. I have points that I want to get to. But if you and I are having a conversation and you're like, wait a minute, Adam, that's interesting. Let's, let's unpack that. I can make that left-hand turn, go down that road, and also have the confident ability that I know I can bring it back to center of the show and get back on track. The gold is in the shit pit. I talk about this all the time. The gold is in the ship pit of any story. And you want to get to the bottom of that ship pit. You want to get to ground zero. You want to get to foundation, rock bottom, because that's where the good stuff is. And that's what Howard does. What do you mean by that? Our stories, our journeys, each one of us, we've all had a rock bottom moment. Different levels. Everyone's had different rock bottom moments in personal, professional. Some are absolutely horrific and traumatic, awful human stories. And some people are, are not as bad, but, but we own those. And for us and for you and for me and for that person down the street, that's our story. That story at the bottom of it, at our worst, that's where the lessons are learned. That's when we, we grow. That's when you know we harness that inner tenacity that I talk about all the time. And that's the juice. That's the good stuff that I want to get to and something I picked up from Howard. So whenever he has a guest on the show, he goes in those directions. He talks about the trauma, the divorce, the deaths, the career fuck ups and all that shit too. And that's where the good stuff comes from. You have to be willing as a host to go deep with respect. Totally. To do it in the right way, to not insult your guests. You know, for example, I had Grant Cardone on my show. Interesting, because I never wanted him on my show, but he kind of fell into my lap. And I was like, all right, I'm going to take advantage of it. Grant's a polarizing kind of guy there, too. And I had some mixed thoughts about him. But they only gave me 15 minutes with him. And my show is typically an hour, free-flowing, talk about whatever the hell you want. And I'm like, shit, first and foremost, now i got to figure out how to format my show. So basically, I said, I want to do 10 questions with Mr. 10X. And I had my questions. I actually got to 13 questions. I, I'd squeeze a couple of them in there. <laughs> of course you did. Being a polarizing guy, one of the other techniques I learned as a podcaster early on from my media coach, Jani Moon, she said, sometimes you got to poke the bear. If you want to get the good stuff out of an interview, you're not being a dick, but you're pushing in a controversial area in a respectful way. You want to be provocative and you want to incite an emotional response from the guests and get something good out of them. And I did that with Grant Cardone. I talked to him about, hey, listen, there's a lot of haters out there people talking shit about the church. And I knew that the church, uh, Scientology was going to be a sensitive topic for him. And he got super defensive. And I'm like, all right, well, let me dig into that in a respectful way. And I dug in a little bit deeper in the interview in a tactful way, mm -hmm. kind of shoved the, 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 the knife in a little bit and turned it, but in a nice way, like smiling while I did it. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> totally. And I brought out a good answer and then I brought it back to center. And this is a guest who's done thousands, if, if that's a good number of shows. And I don't know how often he's asked that. So I took advantage of it. Same thing with Gary Vee. I had Gary Vee on my show. I asked him, what's with all this shit talk on Glassdoor about your company being nepotism and all these other things that were really, you know, and I saw him kind of cringe a little bit. And then he gave me kind of a canned PR answer. I wasn't scared to go there. And I think that is truly one of the many reasons why you're so great at what you do and why your show is connecting with the audience. because. You're not, it's not a boilerplate. I'm going to ask this question because it's the next question on my list. <laughs> There's power in the pivot, right? And you're even talking about, you know, those stories, which in my mind, yeah, we're going to get into the story about your, your Vayner career and, and what happened there. But yeah, man, I mean, look, ultimately speaking, a conversation is dynamic and you have to be dynamic. It's a give and take. It's not one directional. And I think that's huge. And, and to your credit for 
for even booking 10Xer, uh, the 10X maestro, the Scientology. I don't know what he is. I'm like you. I didn't want him on my show, but I know you had him on a clubhouse room. You blew up. That's how it worked. You took advantage of that. And see here, I know this about you. So I'm pulling out that knowledge just in real time. You had this opportunity and you took advantage. Let's double back that. You said something really important, the power of the pivot, not just in life and careers and everything, but the power of the pivot in a podcast. There's kind of a flow in my show that I kind of do where I'm talking about the career, that I'm talking about passion points. I'm being very high level here. And how do you pivot between those points of the conversation, the transition? And how do you smooth it out? And sometimes you don't smooth it out. And I kind of use the example, if we want to talk about electronic music, and we talk about house music and everything, we talk about a DJ set, there's some DJs that are just so seamless in those transitions. There's other DJs that suck and they train wreck the shit out of it, and it's not a clean transition. There's other DJs that are really experienced. Well, they'll let a record play out to the end, have a moment of silence, Mm -hmm. and then go into the next topic. So you have to figure out all these little tools in your tool belt when you have a show on. You also have to know how to punch out. You have to know how to move on. You have to stop a guest from yapping their asses off. That's right. And you have to learn how to politely cut people off. And here's the other thing. When I go on people's shows and not talking about your show, if you give me the opportunity to ramble, I'm going to take it and I'm going to say whatever the hell I want. And I also will push it to see how far until they actually say something. And then I'll be like, (laughs) all right. And then I'll also be like, I'll stop and I'll like give them that that opportunity to ask the, the next question or follow because I want to be a good guest. And to my point, right, this, this power in the pivot, sometimes conversations, they end abruptly and that's okay. That's okay that they're going to have a hard stop. Just like that DJ may have a hard stop or may play the record out. I think that's a perfect analogy. I had never thought about it in that way, but a, a conversation is very much like a DJ set. So I, uh, I applaud you for that comparison. Some tracks you need to just hear it till the end and some some are fine to transition with 30 seconds left and, and mix it into the next track. And you notice it more too sometimes when it's a bit more jarring. So I don't want to leave this one thought on, on Howard and then we'll move on. You interview him. What would you do to prepare for him? Knowing as much as you know about him. Oh man, I would, I would go to the Wayback Tapes. I would go back to all the previous interviews and I would try to see where he gets rattled, what he doesn't want to talk about, what he hasn't talked about. And try to find those moments. I mean, obviously, I would fanboy for a couple of minutes and talk about how he's literally been the talk track to my entire life. You know, I talk about how I, I remember in Brooklyn, I was 10, 11 years old before we moved out to the Burbs, got my first stereo, I was listening to him on K-Rock. You know, talk about that and, and how his life has kind of moved on from that. And he's been through divorce. His kids are older. You know, he's been married to Beth for almost 20 years. I mean, it's like crazy to think about that. It is. And then what's next for him? You know, what's what's next? And the thought process of, of hanging it up. I mean, he's a true, his dad was in the recording industry. Like that's in his DNA. Like how some people can't, you look at a lot of the broadcasters out there and they do it till the day they die. Yeah. Look at Larry King, Larry King till the day he died. I mean, he's iconic. There's like a Ru- Mount Rushmore of icons and Larry King and Howard Stern and, and few others would be on it. And he, it's right. It's right. It's just part of his DNA. Little side note, too. The whole Larry King thing is Larry King has done does no prep, did no prep for his shows. I know. Yeah. Because a very interesting thing. I, I Chris Dell on my show. If you, do you know Chris Dell? Yeah, yeah. I had him on my show as well. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And fantastic. And we were talking after the show about prep and everything. And he just, he's like, well, I want to get your opinion. He's like, what are your thoughts on prep versus no prep? In my opinion, you have to do the prep. You have to be prepared as a podcaster. You have to know what you're talking about. You have to know what you're getting into with your guests. He's like, what on the other side of it, if it's just more of an organic conversation, it's more of a discovery chat. I'm like, I, I see the value in that, Chris. I totally get it. I think it would be interesting. I've done that before when I do my live shows where I don't do any prep aside from like a quick, like, 
LinkedIn kind of overview. Cursory, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, I that's not my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Well, he's, he goes, Chris, he's like, I challenge you. He's like, equate it to maybe a conversation with uh, someone at a networking event or, or, you know, a cocktail party. I'm like, that's fascinating. And I think I could do it. And I know I could. Frankly, it's easier, but I, here's the problem that I have. <laughs> it's easier. Few, few people. You're a good conversationalist. Yeah. Few people can pull that off. A. B. People want their information concentrated. And if you're doing discovery, what happens is there's so much high level superfluous, just crap that's just not necessary. So you either have to have a really good editor or you have to be incredibly tactical in guiding the conversation so that it doesn't run into boring crap. And I think most people aren't, aren't skilled at doing that. And, and Chris is amazing. I'm a massive, massive fan of his. He's my new favorite person of this year, like as far as content. Oh, cool, dude. How did you get connected with him? Through, through Clubhouse? Or? No, no, through my buddy, Rich Cardona, who had him on his show. And he's like, dude, Chris would be great here. Here's something that makes a good podcast host and why you could be able to pull it off. Those of us that are good, and you know what? I am going to freaking pat myself on the back. This is actually something I'm proud of that I know I'm good at. And I, and I harness it and I hone my craft and everything. We all have this common trait. And this is what makes a good podcaster. You're naturally inquisitive. Mm-hmm. You want to know the whys. You're interested in other people's stories. Mm-hmm. If you're podcasting and you're only into it for yourself and you want to promote your own shit and make it all about you, that, yeah, the audience could feel it. They could hear it. They could sense your bullshit. If it becomes the I, I, me, me show, instead of like really trying to understand the other person, then that will only last so long. People get bored of that. So we've been talking a lot of theoreticals today and that wasn't what, I mean, it kind of was what I had in mind, but this theoretical, I'm actually quite curious about. You famously got fired from VaynerMedia. And when I say famous, famous within our space, the people that know you, LinkedIn, let's say that didn't happen. Let's say you left on your own accord, whatever happened. How would your life be different today? It's interesting. If I, if I actually left on my own accord, it would have been different because if I go back to that, am I leaving on my own accord to stay working in marketing or advertising or am I leaving on my own accord to transition to recruiting? You got to answer that, man. You got to answer that. <laughs> the answer is I, I wouldn't know that, but I think that if I wasn't fired and I didn't have that conversation and it didn't trigger me to really think about what was next in my career, I never would have went into recruiting. I would have stay, stayed in the same track. I'd be working in marketing, advertising, social media. I'd be the dull man in the room at this point. And I mean, honestly, that moment, and I talk about it with Gary, talk about it all the time. That moment was so critical and it had to happen because I call it my, it was my self-awareness epiphany. Yeah. It was that moment where I was forced to look in the mirror and finally stop lying to myself, stop lying to others, say, what am I good at? What do I suck at? Do I want to keep doing this the rest of my life? And if I don't want to do that, what's next? Mm-hmm. And I had to have that moment. And a lot of people can't face that moment. I mean, I have people in my personal life really close to me that are, are wasted potential. They have all the potential in the world and they can hone up to the fact that they suck at shit and they need to fix shit and they don't do it. And now they look at it and they're at a certain age in their life and they're like, wait a minute, am I too old for that? And I say to them, listen, I pivoted my career at 35 years old. I was a rookie day one in recruiting. I had to learn a new industry, a new job. That hurt. That took a lot of like humble pie, right? Like you had to eat a lot of humble pie shit to just get to that point where I was taking advice from a 24-year-old recruiter on how to recruit. Yeah. Well, sometimes our biggest awakenings happen in the deepest, darkest valleys of despair. And this is case in point. And I guess he's my cousin, my dad's first cousin. If you look up Salibi in Google, you won't find me. You won't find my dad. You'll find this guy. And he created something called the strengths perspective, which really highlights this power that we have within our strengths, doubling down on our strengths, which I know part of the conversation you had with with Gary was like, okay, 
hey, there might be some things you're not great at, but what are the things you're amazing at? Like, and I know he was a big advocate for you being pursuing recruiting. When we think about doubling down on our strengths, I know firsthand that when we do this, it allows us to pay more attention to the areas that we are already excelling at and amplifying them. It's not to say we completely ignore the other things, but let's amplify those things. How has that shown up throughout your life? Maybe not just in your career, but it could be anything. Like, How has that shown up throughout your life since that conversation? It's given me all the confidence in the world. And I think I wasn't confident prior to my recruiting career. I wasn't confident professionally. I doubted a lot of things, a lot of decisions that I made. And recruiting, because it was naturally, it naturally played to my strengths, it helped lift everything up. Everything inside, it helped relationships, conversations, business development, confidence in those conversations. It led to podcasting. If I didn't go into recruiting, I never would have went into podcasting. I wouldn't have had that opportunity. It just opened up so many doors for me. Yeah. It was able to bring out things that, that I knew I had inside. And here, here's the other thing. I've always been, Billy, like a natural salesman. And it comes as, as an element of marketing. Marketing and sales are, are kissing cousins right there. And I've always been a natural salesman. I did stuff in high school. I mean, listen, I did some things in college where I sold some stuff, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and I've always kind of had that in me. And I wouldn't have been able to go out on my own. I was working for recruiting, two recruiting firms before I went out and launched NHP Talent Group here. But I wouldn't have had that confidence with all that fuel behind me. And I say this all the time. In order to be an entrepreneur, the real test of an entrepreneur, and I mean this wholeheartedly, you have to be able to eat what you kill. And you have to be able to kill what you eat. And if you can't go out and hunt, I'm being very literal with this, because if you can't hunt for opportunities and create opportunities that create dollars, you're not feeding yourself and you're not feeding your family. And if you can't do that, you're not a real entrepreneur. Totally, man. Go back to nine to five and there's nothing wrong with that. Some people aren't built for that. That's true. That's true. And your point on confidence, to me, it's like when I think about my 10-year-old and I think about what do I want to instill in him more than anything else, it's the power of confidence. Because confidence bleeds into your personal life, your business life, like everything, man. If we, I mean, we need to teach this in school because it's not taught enough. And sadly, so many kids lack confidence because we, kids are bullies. Kids are mean. They haven't built that. It takes time to build it. It's funny you say, let's riff, let's riff on that for a quick second here. I, my, my, daughter, my daughter's almost 10. She's very confident to begin with, uh, inherently in her DNA. She's also very empathetic. So you put those two things together and there's times when she doubts herself, she doubts other people, she doubts relationships. And I always try to instill the confidence in her. I support her in every single way. She gets, I pick her up from school yesterday, she gets in the car and she's crushing fourth grade right now. She's crushing it. She's doing great in math and science and everything. She knows it inside and out. And she gets in the car yesterday and she's like, dad, don't be mad at me. I got a two out of four on, <laughs> on her math test. <laughs> and I'm like, why would I be mad at you? So like, I just thought you would be mad. At me. I'm like, why did you think, have I ever got, have I ever been mad at you? I go, the only time I'm gonna be mad at you with poor performing grades is if you didn't prepare and you didn't try hard. I know you prepared because I saw you study for it and I know you try hard. You probably just hit some material that was tough and that's gonna happen in life. And I saw it change her face when she started to really understand what I was saying to her. And I think it gave her the confidence. We went back, we went over the, the questions that she did and she's gonna get the extra help in those in that in, in the new part of math that's been tough for her. Yeah, man, that's great. Well, that's, and that's a powerful lesson. That's a real shit right there. Totally. Parenting's hard, man. Like we make mistakes too. I made so many mistakes. We all do. Like literally every day. 
So my son's in the fourth grade too. So I'm sure they're they're probably studying similar similar things. Oh, and the new curriculum, forget about it. That's a whole other podcast. I everything's a word problem now. I'm like, my brain is not built for that. Our brains are built for sequential, easy numbered math. That was hard enough back in the day. Dude, I'm I'm with you, man. Well, okay. So let's let's talk a little bit about the this incredible journey you've had with your podcast. And what I find interesting, you said this, you say you monetize your guest, not the show. What does that mean? Yeah, it's interesting too. So anyone who's in podcast land, who's in the know, knows that there's there's really a couple different ways to make money off your show. Number one is the old school traditional CPM that's cost per thousand downloads, interview, ad model, right? You get paid X amount. It can be anywhere from 15, 20, $25 up to $50 per thousand, depending on the show, the audience, the niche and everything there. So let's just say, for example, you know, you're only getting a couple thousand downloads a show. What are you going to make 40, 50 bucks an ad that it's just not the juice ain't worth the squeeze at that point. So a lot of people, what's cool about podcasting is that it's your show. It's your show. It's your business. It's a little micro business or macro business, depending. You could charge whatever you want. You could charge for sponsorships. That's one way to do it. But talking about monetizing the guest and not the audience, that's called monetizing the audience. When you have ads on your show, you're monetizing the listeners. What I do, and it happened organically, is I book a lot of guests on my show that I either identify as decision makers at companies that I want to do business with, the recruiting business, or organically, those guests turn into lead generation referrals for my business. So I focus on the guests. I focus on the relationship with them, the communication process, the touch points, the aftercare, developing those relationships, and eventually pitching the business to them. So monetizing them, I can make a lot more money in my recruitment business model than off an ad model. I don't have millions of downloads a show like some of our friends. You know, my show downloads are in the thousands, which isn't too shabby, but from a CPM basis, no one's getting rich off that. And I know you're starting to, you have some, some things that you're promoting and, and sponsor some sponsors and whatnot. But to your point, unless you're doing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of downloads, it's not anything remarkable. But the power of the relationship is real. I mean, and even if it wasn't your intention to do it, like, dude, it's insane, man. Let's riff on that for a second there, right? So if I look at my guest list and your guest list is, is equally impressive there too, I'm like, holy shit, I could go down this guest list and I know for a fact that pretty much all the guests here, if I reach out to them with a quick email, like a quick question or like, hey, do you know this person, this person, would you mind a quick intro? They're going to look at it and they're probably going to respond and help me out. I mean, literally, I mean, I've had like Bracket Daryl, the CEO of Logitech, the camera that I'm freaking looking at you in right now on my show. And him and I like yap. Amazing. Right? Like, like there's people you have on that you wouldn't normally have access to. And, and it's, it's real. Yeah, that's what it is. It's access. I have an hour conversation with you. We're going to connect. Because you get past, I mean, A, you're going to get more doors open because people, for whatever reason, they want to go on podcasts. Okay. And hopefully that stays consistent. Because everybody's got a podcast, right? But they're more receptive to have a conversation when there's a microphone. And also, it's long conversation. You know, if it's 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour long, hopefully you get to a point where you get to know the person. And if you have a little bit of pre-conversation, maybe a little conversation at the end, all of these things. They remember you. Cumulatively. Yeah, they remember you, man. They do. And, and then the promotion wants to share. The show airs. You know, there's a whole follow-up. I mean, you know, I, I have a whole process about it and it works. So let's talk about that. If you don't mind sharing, let's hear a little bit out of the inner workings of like, okay, first getting them as a guest, give your approach to guest acquisition. And then what are the, 
milestones throughout the process. There's inbound and outbound, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but I get a ton. My mailbox fills up with, we're on these listservs. Once, once your show gets to a certain point, basically, once you kind of hit 500,000 downloads consistently and your show gets charted and it's ranked, there's all these automated bots that pull your information and you're getting tons of PR. I've done a pretty good job of filtering out a lot of folks that are just garbage where it's just automated lists of irrelevant. Yep. And then I focused on a couple of PR agencies that actually listen they see what my show's about. They ask me questions and they start to set good guests there. So now I'm getting a bunch of inbounds. So I'm able to filter through those. And then I combine that with my organic outreach where I'm connecting with people via email, via LinkedIn too, and I'm establishing relationships with them. And I get them into a flow of guest acquisition. Hey, Billy, I really admire your career. X, Y, and Z stands out to me. I have a top global career podcast called The Podcast. We talk about career journeys. What I love to do is do something a lot of folks don't do is talk about those really early days, the lessons from within, and then blah, 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 blah. And people are like, oh, cool, podcast, cool, great guest. Who is he had on? Awesome. Credibility. Yeah, I'd like to come on your show. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That took time. It took three years. But it's specific. I mean, you get specific about that person too. Yeah, it's not just general. So there's two different kind of paths that I go down. I go some really interesting human interest stories where I know that's going to be a really cool story and I want to hear about it because I think the listeners are going to find interest in it. And then I'm going to talk to, you know what? That's a company right there that I know I could recruit for. I know they're having problems with recruiting. Their CEO maybe has a good story, but look at their CMO. He or she has a really cool story. Or maybe their head of people has a really cool story. And now we can talk about the recruiting element and bring it back to the roots of my show. I'm going to reach out to her or him and then get them on the show. And then eventually turn them into a client. Yeah. Through my techniques. I love it. Clearly it's working. And my very much story is the same. It's like, and I also didn't even intend it. Like never, that wasn't the attention. I have two shows. It's just sort of like happened that way. I mean, not everybody's going to be a customer, but they may point to somebody. They may, it's like, that's the other thing. Yeah. And then they refer other guests. And, and here's the other thing too. Sometimes a guest may not be right. And I talk about this a lot is like, not every prospect is a good guest, right? Like you have to look at past interviews. Are they duds? They have energy. Are they articulate? Could they flow? Are they just going to be, because you have to always Always, here's a podcast tip out there. Number one, golden rule, keep your audience always top of mind is number one. The audience experience always has to be number one. Serve your audience, yeah. Good technology, good production, and good guests. You can't compromise or sacrifice the audience experience because you're you know, using this, at least in part, to be a, a networking vehicle. And the other piece to it is recruiting specifically. I've been thinking a lot about this because I have a few clients uh, that, that do recruiting. I know not everyone should have a podcast, but I kind of feel like anyone that's in the, that has a, a recruiting firm, if you don't at least contemplate having a podcast, it's almost malpractice. There's so much content. There's so much to talk about. There's so much opportunity. But, but, but like at the end of the day, Billy, you said it before, like you have to have an itch to be a podcaster, to try it, to give it a shot. If you're forcing it, it's just not, I, you can't. I, I've, been, I've been on a couple of these shows. I'm like, why are you doing this? You're terrible. And you're not terrible for lack of experience. You're terrible because you don't give a shit and you really don't want to be doing it. Like, why am I on this show? Yeah. You have a specific email. You compliment them. You tell them a little bit about your show. You invite them on. They say yes after they built that credibility and then are, are seeing that credibility in your show. They then would, do you ever do a pre-interview? What's the next part of the process? And then what happens afterwards? No, there's, there's no pre-interview. I've heard different sides of this too. I ask them their bio, their headshot, their logo, and three or four passion points that, or anything that they're promoting. 
That's my standard go-to. A lot of people like, well, do your own research, do your own, like, you know, prep and everything. I'm like, well, some people like to provide their bios. I've never had anybody say no. You're not asking for a lot. It's like not like a 10 page form. I've had people where they're literally like either an extensive form, which I'm like, that's the turn off. Or they go, what questions do you want me to ask you? Like, what do you want to title the episode or this or that? I'm like, I'm not talking about, I'm like, I'm like, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm not doing that. Or the, or the best is like, oh, do you want, do you want to, do you want to like edit the show afterwards? Do you want to see anything? Do you want to, do you want the questions oh, in advance? I never want the, <laughs> I never want the questions in advance. I never want the questions in advance and I never give the questions in advance. And I've had people like kind of push me. Well, listen, my, my client really wants to see the questions in advance. I go, well, I'm not going to give you the questions but I'm going to give you the topics we're going to touch on. And they're usually cool with that. Yeah, because how can you? I mean, if you're really going to interview somebody, you know, I mean. I don't want to give you my questions. What's the point? First of all, you may have some of the questions, but there's follow-up questions and you may change the questions that you ask. It may not be the same question. It's, it's such a stupid thing. You know, I do that and then I say, all right, well, great. Thank you for sending it over. A few days before the show, I'm going to send you instructions. And it's just kind of a prep email that says, here's the technology. Make sure you're tuned in. Here's your listening watching video, remind them of all that stuff, send them the link again so they have it. That's a straight up form. Every guest gets the same one there. But what they don't see in the background is the work that I'm doing with my show producer, Chris. We're doing tons of research. He's providing me with a lot of points throughout it. And then I take that information and then I kind of do my own kind of spin on it. I dig into a lot of things. I write my notes on it. I type them out. What I do is actually, I trim his notes down. I add my own stuff in. And then a couple of days later, I print that out. Now we're talking a few days before the show. And I dedicate and schedule time where I'm looking at YouTube clips, I'm checking out some past interviews, and I'm actually handwriting on those notes, moving things around, making a lot of notes. So you don't see it. I do a lot of prep. I need that. Yeah. It's my process. Then I record the show with the guests. Then after the show, send it off to the editor. A couple of notes here. I, I rarely, rarely, rarely ever, ever edit anything out. It's raw dog interview. It is what it is. Unless there's a technical error, I'm not editing anything. Yeah. If an episode is longer than uh, about 48 to 50 minutes. I'm going to cut into two parts yep. for better listening. And then there's the aftercare. I usually send in a personal email, not a form. I love how you call it aftercare. Well, here's two things that I do. I immediately send a quick note. Like it's a real quick, just not a form. Hey, Billy, awesome having you on the show. I love talking about X, Y, and Z. Please stay in touch. Have a great weekend. Like nothing formal or anything. Then about a week, three to five days later, uh, I utilize this platform called Thanks, T-H-N-K-S. And I send every guest it's called Thanks a Latte, and it's a Starbucks coffee and a brownie, and it's sent in the late afternoon, and it's a, hey, Billy, thanks for joining me on my show last week. It's a quick pick-me-up. I'm not even shitting you. People that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars have been on my show are not only super grateful to receive it, they redeem it. Yeah. <laughs> it links right into your Starbucks. I can check out the tracker. It's great. That's amazing. 90% of the people redeem it because they have the ability to go right into your Starbucks app right from the platform. It's great and everything. And then after that, I have a two-step a two uh, automated but very highly, highly, highly personalized automated email, which kind of gets them into, thank you again for joining me on the show. Just in case you're not aware, this is my recruiting business. I'd love to stay in touch. And it's very like not in your face. Mm, you're mentioning it, but you're not shoving it down their throat. Yeah. And so many of them have been like, oh, guess what? Oh, yeah. You know what? We're actually having some trouble on X, Y, and Z roles. Let me connect you with my, my, my head of talent. Mm. It works. It works. So you mentioned thanks. What other, and I know systems are, are important to you and tools are important to you. What are some of your favorite tools or systems or workflows that you've established for your show? And it could be any part of the process. Yeah, I love it. So I'm a big, it started with Excel back in the day and now I use Google Docs. I track every show and there's a flow there. And I use 
colors and X's to say if something's done or received. And I'm able to have a quick visual on all my shows coming up. Do we have the graphics? Do we have the prep? Do we have the recordings? Do we have everything ready to go? And everything's in one document. And I share that with my show producer. That's our working document. Got it. That's it. He, we, him and I have a flow. We don't need like crazy flow charts and everything. And that's what we use. And then I use Google Drive to store everything. I share my files that way. Pretty organized in there. There's creative, there's audio, there's video. Got it. Nothing fancy, man. I think to your point, it doesn't need to be flashy. It needs to be effective and it needs to work for your workflow. Not only you, but your producer know what needs to be worked on, what's already been worked on and keep yourself on track. So let's transition a little bit into, even though, yes, it's about monetizing the guest, your show has grown. And in part, I think it's grown because obviously the show itself is very good. But also, I know you've put some effort into making sure that it gets exposure. Yep. Talk a little bit about the promotion side of the fence. More than happy. What's worked for you? So here's the deal. It's like any other product out there. You have to get eyeballs on it or ears in this case, right? You need to get people. So you need to get exposure for it. So I come from the world of media, advertising and marketing. I understand how performance marketing and media works. And sometimes you have to throw fuel on the fire. And that fuel is in the form of dollars, ad spend. Ad spend to get your show in front of more people. It's going to get in front of them, but it's still ultimately up to that person to hit the listen, download button and check it out. So I put ad dollars. I run promotions on a couple different platforms. I've tried a few different things. I've done podcast swaps, guest swaps, ad swaps, whatever way you want to call it. You have to promote your show unless you are a celebrity, a real, real actual influencer, an athlete or somebody. No one knows who the fuck you are or anything about your show. If you're a celebrity, you put your show out there, people are going to listen to it because they know who you are already. We have to do more work as common folks for people to know who we are. It's like throwing something in the ocean and expecting somebody to find it. They're not going to find it. You need to give them some sort of direction, some way, hey, hey, look at me over here, some signal. It could be ad, it could be social, it could be a variety of things. Finding the audience through going on other people's shows. Is there one more than any other that's giving you the most traction? It's straight up ad spend. What types of platforms? My big one's been CastBox. I, I've, I've done really well on the CastBox platform. I'm doing another promotion in uh, at the end of June. And there's some smart things that you have to do with that. And this will be my third one that I've done. Each time, you're going to get that bump of initial listeners, but it's about the retention. Do you want to see your show going like this, right? You want to see your show laddering up. You don't want to see it going back down. You got to keep it fresh. You got to do that. But here's the other thing that I do. When I do those promotions, so let's just say the promotion is going to run for seven to 10 days. First of all, I'm jamming in in those 10 days. I'm jamming in at least three new episodes in 10 days when I'm normally maybe two episodes every, I do one epi new episode a week. So I'm jamming in three or four episodes because you're going to have a new audience and you want them to be able to binge and make sure those episodes are good ones. I'll move things around. I'll make sure those are three badass episodes. You're going to get those. And I'll also do two best ofs so they could get a sense of the back catalog. You want to kind of draw them in and get back catalog. That's another monetization point too, as you work your way up with dynamic con dynamic ad placement going back in and putting dynamic content into your back catalogs and monetizing those as well and driving people to listen to them. So there's a few different kinds of things you got to think about when you're doing promotions. Talk about that last piece one more time. And this is something I haven't done yet, but it's kind of in the process because um, I'm not going to bore the audience yet. Literally have to change platforms. I can't do it on my platform now. Something I'm looking into. For dynamic ad insertion. Yeah. And, and you need to actually spend the time also. So dynamic ad insertion, you actually, or your show producer, Someone has to go in and put a timestamp in each one of those episodes of where the best place for an ad is. You don't want it to be in the middle of a conversation. 
You want it to be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah bad. this is brought to you by. <laughs> yeah. It has to be at a point in the conversation. So that takes work. And it's only worth the work because time is money if you're going to be able to make money off it. So the juice got to be worth the squeeze. Yep. And it's a great opportunity. And how do you drive people to your back catalog? You replay the freaking shows. I have 210 shows out there. Some of my best ones are my early ones. My early mid 100s are so good. Let me just clarify. So you dynamically insert something into the end of a new episode that's directing them to go to an old episode? No, I'll re-air the show. It'll be best of episode 89. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. So, and, and I love that you're tapping into this already. You have this knowledge here and you know performance marketing, you know the ad space. And I love the tip that you have like, hey, like if you're going to spend this money, get your best content out there, double, triple down, make sure you have enough to watch or listen to. What about like either ad copy or other things that play into the success? And, and I don't know, you've used different platforms. CastBox seems to be the one. Is there anything else that would be valuable that you've learned or that you've done? I don't know. I, I like to use the analogy a lot that I'm, I'm like a plumber with a broken toilet in my own house. Like I know what to do, but I haven't really done it. Dude, I almost spit out my water. I mean, that's really the problem. It's like, it's like, it's like that plumber, why is this toilet in his own house clogged? You know what I mean? Right, like, right, right, right. Of course. One of the biggest mistakes, and I talk about this openly that I made with my show was I did not do a, a, any job or a good enough job of building a community at the early days of my show. I didn't focus on it. I didn't do anything about it. Building a community to pre-launch a show, building a community in those early days. And community is one of those kind of buzzwords now, but what does it really mean? Honestly, communities is, is avid fans, avid listeners that give you feedback and engage. How would you do it differently? Like, what would you do specifically to elicit that kind of uh, experience of building community and engagement? I would have had call outs early on in the show. I'd be like, hey, guys, come join me over on, you know, my Facebook, my Facebook page. We're having a, a post-show conversation. It'll be an AMA with me and maybe my guests I just had on the show. Billy, we're going to be on there for the next half hour. Come over and ask us anything. That's one way to do it. Mm -hmm. Join us on there. Um, some kind of incentives, giveaways work really well early on. You want to just get people into your show and it's hard. Because it's a one, it's a sort of a, by nature, it's a, a passive listening type of experience. And how do you make it interactive? You have to be really proactive about creating avenues and conduits for that engagement. Part of the reason I liked Clubhouse, but I burnt myself out, is, is you could talk to people and it was a more back and forth. We won't get into all the reasons why I didn't like it, but but <laughs> are you on it at all anymore, by the way? No, I haven't touched Clubhouse. I think I deleted it off my phone. I don't, I don't What about LinkedIn that. audio? Yeah, I don't like listening to other people. I'm a podcast. I don't listen to other people. <laughs> people, like, people are like, who else do you listen to? I'm like, nope. I mean, occasionally if someone's like, you got to catch that Rogan clip. And I, I'm like, first of all, I don't have three hours. Tell me exactly where to listen to. You know what I mean? And that's why I love when when podcasts post clips and, and shit on, on like Instagram or elsewhere. Because you're giving me just what I yeah. do. That's hilarious, dude. We're going to wrap this up here. Before we do, love it if you could give anything that that you think would help somebody who is the beginning of their podcast journey, but they're maybe intermediate, okay? And they've gotten to a point where they think their show is good, but they're not seeing the type of, of traction that they want. And it could be from a downloads perspective, but it also could just be maybe they've, they, maybe they've hit a rut. What, what do you advise for somebody that loves podcasting, they enjoy doing it, but they, they want to bring a, a new sense of life to their show? What would be some advice or, or input you would give to them? Yeah, I mean, aside from soliciting some some audience feedback and being very open about it, I think you need to actually take a look at the numbers and a lot of podcast platforms tell you fall off. 
they'll tell you certain things and say, all right, listen, 80% of your show is only listening to 50% of your show. And then they, they hang up. What is that telling you? Your show's too long. Maybe try a shorter format. Maybe switch up your format. Maybe try a new intro. Maybe don't have that ad at the beginning. Maybe people are falling off there. Think about the questions you're asking. Switch it up. Try something new. Test and learn. Experiment. Don't get stuck doing the same thing all the time and expecting the same results. That's the definition of insanity. Insanity. Brilliant way to end, Adam. So for those who want to go listen to the podcast, go check it out. It is a fantastic show where you get more of Adam. Also, if you do need help with recruiting, nhptalentgroup.com. Please go check it out. And then very active on LinkedIn. That's how we originally connected. Oh, yeah. Where else would people uh, find you? Where else should they look for you? Anything additional that I didn't yet mention? Well, I do provide my guidance on the world of podcasting and not how to record or turn the lights on. It's thepausecourse.com. Yes. So go to thepausecast.com, thepausecourse.com. I literally just give you my playbook, right? I'm not here to say bullshit. And it's fantastic. And, I, and, and, and my apologies for not even... Dude, love, 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 love. You sent me an early version of it and I was like blown away and... Yeah. So the pause course. I believe in abundance. I'm not scared of competition. Like I'm not like, you know what I mean? Like here it is. I want it to work for you. There's no reason I don't want it to work for you. Here it is. Yeah. You lay it all out there. I lay it all out there. Use what you want. I'm also giving a lot of like mindset and strategy that worked for me. And I think that's important for a lot of people too. I'm not teaching you how to edit and turn on your microphone and connect all these lights and cameras and stuff that, that, that Billy and I have here. Just, you know, what worked for me and how I did it. Brilliant. My friend, it's been uh, an epic conversation. Loved it. Thank you for the opportunity. So excited to continue our friendship and I will see you on the East Coast if you don't make it out here first. But I'm looking forward to an in-person high five and hug in the very near future. Working on it. Adam, you're a legend. Thanks for being on the show. Billy, thank you to you and your audience.